Hello and welcome to Premier League Press Box, the podcast that goes to games and goes behind the scenes to bring you stories you won't hear anywhere else. I'm Nigel Bidmead. And I'm Ian Beach. And this week, unusually, we're at the same game. We're at Vicarage Road for Watford against Tottenham. And we're sitting in the press box, what is it, an hour and ten minutes now until kickoff. It's reasonably quiet, Nigel, but it's going to get very busy. It's very unusual for us to be at the same game. I mean, two or three times a season, would you say? Yeah, couldn't be much more than that. Obviously, we work for different organisations. They choose where to send us. We don't have any say really in the games we get to uh, to cover. And, uh, well, I, I gave you a lift here today, so uh, I guess you're paying for the petrol. <laughs> and we had a quick chat about where we were yesterday. You were at Chelsea, I was at West Ham. That was they're both very interesting games for uh, different reasons. So tell me, what do you think is going to happen today? Well, I think we're going to end up with one of these two teams being uh, having a 100% record. And I think it's going to set up for an amazing season if we have three teams at the top of the Premier League after four matches with the maximum 12 points. I think this season is shaping up to be so exciting because every game, every point seems to be that little bit more valuable between Liverpool, Manchester City and probably Tottenham. What are you doing today, Ian? I mean... Uh, I... Um, I know you're commentating. Who are you commentating for? Who are you commentating with? So I'm going to be commentating for News Talk in uh, Ireland and I'm commentating with Alan McLaughlin, former Republic of Ireland international. Um, Hopefully we'll get a chat with him a bit later on as well. You'll hear that uh, on the podcast. And um, so I'll be commentating. I'll be doing the full 90 minutes and I did the full 90 minutes yesterday on Chelsea Bournemouth. So... um, I've spent the last, out the last 25 hours, I would have spent three hours flat out talking about football. Well, I have a relatively easy job today. I'm just doing reporting for the IRN network, uh, which is associated with Sky News. Um, I'm hoping to do a bit of RTE in Ireland as well, because they're always interested in Premier League football. As you mentioned, uh, we're hoping to catch a chat with uh, Alan McLaughlin, if he turns up on time, um, which I'm sure he will. Uh, But one of the people that we were really interested in talking to on our way here is the match day announcer at Watford Football Club, and that's Emma Saunders. When you were younger, did you dream of being a match day announcer? Honestly, no, because I've been coming to Watford well, as a season ticket holder from the age of eight. And I, did, I do remember looking at the match day programme, I do remember seeing things on the big screen and definitely getting excited about that and thinking I would love to work in football and possibly the media side of things. But any football ground you went to you would never hear a female voice on the tannoy and because of that you just don't you don't even think it's an option so honestly no I didn't grow up dreaming oh I'd love to be a stadium announcer because when I was that age and through my early teens I didn't think women did it at a football ground so I guess that's what makes it so special now when I was given the option I thought really me a woman and yeah it was a huge risk I suppose for Watford to take but I guess it paid off I'm still here still doing it Um, it's not just that you're still here because that part of your career has really taken off and took off in the summer yeah absolutely Um, I think three years ago when I was first given the stadium mic here I never thought in a million years that yeah three years later I'd be going off and doing it in in Russia for a World Cup so when I finally had that confirmed um, sort of May time this year before I went out there Oh, it's so it's so cliche, but it was a dream come true. Um, but absolutely, I 
like I said to you a minute ago, I just years ago I'd never thought that that could have happened. But it does seem to be something we're seeing a little bit more of now. Certainly in Russia, there were other female voices there. So hopefully it's just something we do see more of as time goes on. You're being quite modest as well because you actually got promoted while you were in Russia. You <laughs> you, you caught the ear, you caught the eye, didn't you? Uh, well, yeah, I was only meant to be out there for um, the first three weeks doing the group stages. Um, but yeah, I guess you said it yourself there. Um, they liked having sort of an, an English strong female voice. A lot of the people that they had out there doing stadium presentations, stadium announcing, interestingly, uh, actually had backgrounds in acting. Um, so there were a number of actresses, uh, actors out there, comedians even. It was seen as more of a performance. So they were actually quite surprised when they found out, oh, I've actually got a big background in football. When I said, I've done this at Watford, I've done it at Wembley Stadium, they sort of glared, raised the eyebrows and said, right, we need to take you to Moscow then. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Um, but it is only part of your career because you, I mean, you, you are a proper journalist, aren't you? Well, yes. I, before I even got into the stadium announcing, that's exactly that. I trained as a, a broadcast journalist. Um, initially, I was doing a degree in geography at Southampton, and I kind of thought that was the path I was going to take. I mean, like I said, a, a, a job in sports media is something I've always dreamed of, but it's so competitive, and I, or oh, you just got to try and hope and get that chance. Um, but whilst I was studying at university, I managed to get, um, I applied online for a work experience at BBC, called BBC Kickoff, which is a journalism trainee scheme. And yeah, got lucky, got in, um, and it literally started out as making cups of tea, just learning the ropes, shadowing people to death, like listening hard, learning, um, unpaid for a very, very long time. Um, but eventually that turned into paid phone answering shifts and just bit by bit I'd learnt the ropes from a production point of view because I think then as a broadcaster you really appreciate that side of things. I think it does make you a better broadcaster when you appreciate what's going on behind the scenes. So I was certainly trained across all areas and then it led me to um, formally train as a broadcast journalist um, in London. And it was after that I got my first staff job um, at BBC Radio London as yeah a working journalist um, and it was through that role actually I first got my role here at Watford again it was more of a journalistic kind of role I was working in the media team doing interviews doing editing doing production bit of presenting as well um, for a good year or so before I turned up here uh, that day pre-season and got given the stadium mic so actually you're right journalism is my background how would you describe the attitude to women journalists, women reporters now compared to when you started? Has it changed? I would, I would say so. I've only been in journalism a very short amount of time, um, five, six years really. And even in that short space of time, it's changed so much. Um, I always remember a funny story, I won't name the football club, but when I um, turned up there to do one of my first reporting shifts on a match day, the guy on the desk looked at me and said, oh, are you, um, are you the match day mascot? And he was so shocked that I was there, so I, he turned up, I was there to actually report on the football. Um, and I've had, I've had a couple of other little stories like that. I have experienced a little bit of sexism, but actually it was really in the early days. And I, I imagine over time it's probably helps that I have become more of a familiar face around these places. Um, when you're first starting out, you do get sort of looked at, what does she know? But I think now, obviously, I've got a bit of experience under my belt. That's probably helped too. But the whole landscape has changed so much. I say this to people. When you go to a football match now... Um, when people ask me, you know, when you were younger, did you dream of being a stadium announcer? The answer is no, because there was no women doing it. And even when you looked around the football ground, there was no female stewards. There was no females working in, like, the, the physio teams behind the scenes. Everywhere you looked in the football ground, there was such a lack of, of female 
uh, presence whereas now there's more female football fans in in the crowd like I said stewards if you look around there's plenty of females doing that as well there's females up in the commentary box there's females on, on the stadium mic so I do think there's still a little bit of work to do that we are still the minority but I do think slowly but surely it's getting there for sure we're sitting uh, in the Watford Stadium. It looks absolutely magnificent. What are we, a couple of hours, hour and a half uh, yeah. before kickoff against Spurs? Uh, you're a massive Watford fan. They've made such a great start to the season. Um, what, what do you think is going to happen today? Today, oh, well, historically, we don't have a great record against Spurs, particularly in recent years. Um, but saying that, um, we've been owed a bit of luck against them because. So far in our return to the Premier League the last three seasons, we've had luck against Chelsea, beating them. We've had luck against Manchester United, beating them. We've had luck against Liverpool. So Spurs is one of the... Alongside Man City, which I think will be a couple more years yet before we get a bit of luck against them. But um, certainly last season, it was a lot closer. So I think on the start we've had... If there's a time we're going to beat Spurs in front of the TV cameras, it could be today. I think they'll certainly go for it. And they're just brimming with confidence. In the three, four years I've worked at Watford, I've never seen... The, the attitude, the, just the general ethos of the club, the team spirit, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, credit to Javi Gracia because he's doing a brilliant job behind the scenes. Um, now I've said that, Spurs will probably thumb past 4-0 <laughs> and it'll go wrong. Um, but no, it's, been, it's certainly been a brilliant start. So if, t- if there's going to be a time to beat Tottenham, it's today, hopefully. <laughs> and, le- and let me turn the tables on you. Who's your favourite Watford player? <laughs> <laughs> Don't, I've got to ask the junior Hornets that in about three quarters of an hour. Who's my favourite Watford player? I'll give you I'll give you all time. All time ever. I'd have to go back to the glory days when I was a season ticket holder. That's one of the best parts of this job, by the way. People always ask me as a journalist who are the best people I've interviewed. It's all the former Watford players that were playing around the time when I was like 10 or 11 or 12, 13 years old. Like even last week, we had Micah Hyde and Richard Johnson pitch side. So many people would maybe glaze over thinking why they, like, compared to some of the other talent maybe you've spoken to. But, you know, they were, they were, the, 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 they were the heroes. Exactly that. Their centre midfield partnership. That's who I remember watching Watford. Um, so all-time favourite, oh, it's very difficult, but um, one of the times it really sticks out to me was the 2006 playoff final that we won at Cardiff against Leeds. And that team was just unbelievable. The, right from Darius Henderson through to um, Marlon King. and oh, the Heide, There's so many different players involved in that squad that I look back on and have fond memory or, uh, memories of. Oh, that's a really tough question. Best Watford player ever. No, your favourite Watford My player. My favourite ever. I've never been asked this. When I, when I was young, I did. I had Heide Helgeson on the back of my shirt for a very, very long time. He sticks out. That will do. <laughs> Emma Saunders there struggling to recall her favourite Watford player. She'll be asking the Watford mascots in a minute who theirs is. Hello, what's your name? Demi. Demi, how old are you? And who's your favourite Watford player? Andre Gray. Andre Gray. Did I see Andre Gray on the back of your shirt again? Just give us a twirl of the camera. One of the things we like to do on the podcast is have a little wager. It uh, is a hangover from a podcast we used to do. We call it our weekly wager. And Ian, what are you looking at this week? Um, I'm gonna. I can't back against Tottenham winning this game. I have to say, I feel like Tottenham are, have been playing really well. I saw them a couple of weeks ago. So um, if I'm going to pick something to, to have a, a, a flutter on today, it'll be Tottenham to win. Um, the odds on that aren't particularly good. So I'll give that a bit of a boost, and I'll say that both teams will score. So I'll put my fiver down on that at 11-5. to 
Okay, well, um, I looked at all sorts of funky bets about who might get booked and who might score in this time. And um, I junked it all and went for over 3.5 goals because I think it's honourable to cheer for everybody to score goals. Uh, that's seven to four, so my five pounds would only realise £13.75. But I've, I've got a good feeling about this game. I think both teams are right up for it. Of course, they're, they've got 100% records and um, I'm hopeful that there's going to be goals. So we've heard from Emma Saunders, the match day announcer here. Let's um, talk to somebody else. Alan McLaughlin's going to be my co-commentator today. And of course, the big story around international football in Ireland this week has been Declan Rice and the possibility that he's going to switch nationality or certainly he's considering it. Alan was a Republic of Ireland international. He scored a crucial goal in a World Cup qualifier for the Republic of Ireland against Northern Ireland. But he was born in England, so I'm interested to find out what kind of process, if any, he had to go through in order to confirm that his national and international allegiance was with the Republic of Ireland. Alan, you're back at Vicarage Road this afternoon. I think you, you scored here, didn't you? Yeah, I used to like playing here at Vicarage Road. I remember, remember scoring two, what I would class as two decent goals against Tony Colton. Uh, one in the top corner and one with a header. So, yeah, I used to have fond memories playing here. Obviously, the stadium has changed uh, incredibly, really. It's now... It's now looking like a Premiership stadium. Uh, it's a little bit spit and sawdust back in the day, as most of the stadiums were then. But uh, no, it's um, it's nice. The pitch is perfect. Uh, the weather is fantastic today. So yeah, I'm looking forward to the game today. Really am. And you've already been to some football this this morning, haven't you? Because in your job as the uh, the chief at the Sweden Town Academy, you've you've seen some youngsters play today. Is that right? Yeah. As I said, you had to delegate some staff uh, to do some jobs that I would normally do to allow me to get away in time. But yeah, it's, it's great, um, you know, all the young players trying to develop them now, trying to develop the academy as well and, and take it forward. We do have a, a good academy and it has been over the years and, and the club buy into the fact that we need to promote players from the academy into the first team uh, and we do that on a, on a regular basis, uh, whether they're playing for Swindon or moved on to another club. So yeah, I'm enjoying the role, it's something different, a little bit of cabin fever at times where I'm normally on the grass most of the time, so that's a little bit strange and a little bit difficult to, to get my head round. Uh, but overall enjoying it, it's a new experience and it's something else to develop my own skills with. Yeah, how long have you been working at Swindon Town now? It's been a few years, isn't it? Yeah, we're up to just over three years now since I left Portsmouth. So I went in there and uh, took um, ran the 13s to 16s, then two years taking the um, under-18s and now academy manager's role. So yeah, it's been varied, it's been, it's been fluid, that's one thing it's certainly been and it's changed every year. So I'm hoping to stay in this position for a while now and and, and, and learn the, the role and uh, develop the role, develop the club, the, the, the coaches as well, and uh, have a nice environment to come and play football in. There can be too much pressure sometimes on kids, and they need to come in and have smiles on their faces, the parents to step away and let us get on with our job and coach the boys, and very firm on that. And, um, and hopefully one day we can get boys playing for Swindon Town, that's the aim, and other boys then moving on in their career and, and moving on to different clubs, which does happen. So here we are, we're about to commentate on this game together um, and you're, you're a coach, somebody who works in the game currently. Do you think that affects the way you, you do the job? Do you think that, do you, do you think, I, I mean, from my personal point of view, when we've done games before, I think you do, I think you spot things that other commentators don't spot, to be honest. Well, actually, um, I worked, well, I've been probably commentating our co-com co for about 10 years, just over 10 years, and it's improved my um, tactical knowledge as well as obviously my, my coaching qualifications which I took at the end of my career if I'd have managed them earlier on my coaching qualification, uh, qualifications it would have helped me but I didn't have time with the Republic of Ireland but certainly watching the games and having to 
try and paint a picture, if I can, for the folks at home um, who are listening to the radio. You certainly take a keen eye on it. And it's about always not watching the ball. You have to watch, you know, you know formations, tactics, uh, speed of play, and things that I like to try and introduce into what we try to do uh, at the football club and how I coach as well. And it certainly helped me uh, being hands-on, having to paint the picture and, and tell a story to, to the people listening. That then certainly has helped me in the way I go about my business as a coach. Now, it's International Week coming up. Uh, you got 42 caps, I think it was, for the Republic of Ireland. But you were born in England. And we've got this Declan Rice story at the moment where Declan, we're not 100% sure if he's going to switch allegiance possibly to England. Did you have to go anything through anything like that to declare which country you were willing to play for when you were uh, coming through? No, I, I hadn't been selected for any of the Republic of Irish uh, Ireland age groups because I, mean, I was played at Man United as a kid and it was always back in my mind. I was never certainly... Didn't have an agent at the time, as you don't. You don't go. You don't ask Man United. Listen, can you please go to the FAI and ask them whether they'll come and watch me? You just hope one day someone would step forward and and, and, and spot you, and that and that didn't happen. And um, I just had to get on with it. Obviously, my parents are both Irish, uh, brought up in a, an Irish background, although with an English accent. And it was important if I got the opportunity. And it was more about making my parents proud. I know that's you know my mum and dad came to England in the early 60s and. Uh, making a life for themselves and working really hard and contributing and uh, and we never lost our sense of you know being from an Irish background but never lost a sense of you're also English you're, you, you know you're, you're born in England embrace that and if the opportunity ever did come along I'd have jumped at the chance but it didn't and it didn't come along until Tony Galvin joined Swindon Town uh, and Tony then current Republic of Ireland International inquired about my surname and asked me whether I had any heritage I said yeah my mum and dad are both Irish and unbeknown to me he then went and told Jack and the started the ball rolling from then on and then once Tony tapped me on the shoulder at Middlesbrough just as I was about to go out of Ayrson Park to tell me that big Jack was in the, in the stand in the crowd watching tonight so pull your finger out then it was suddenly the butterflies and I managed to have a good game and next thing I'm called up to various squads so and you know the excitement that was fan- was fantastic, but also as the story goes, and many people probably do realise or people don't realise, but I was actually selected to play for England as well in a B international. So I had two envelopes dropped through the door uh, on the same day. A very official-looking envelope from England. Opened it up, said I've been selected for the England B squad to play against Ireland, and then right at the bottom of the pile, in a bit of a scraggly old envelope, was <laughs> a brown envelope, was the Irish one. With, with no formal print on there and opened it up and it said I'd been selected for the Irish uh, England, uh, Ireland B team sorry to play against the England B team and it was a no brainer at that point then so uh, the thought of phoning my mum and dad up and telling them that actually I was going to play for Ireland in, in maybe four weeks time against England was fantastic and um, yeah there's also the first thought was I'm playing for Ireland the second thought then is quite rightly England had two squads and two teams, we had one team, you know, and, and, and you look at it logically as well, but the overriding emotion was, you know, how my mum and dad going to feel me walking out of Turner's Cross down in Cork against England, and uh, that was the drive, and then further down the line, once I joined the squad, and people are saying, you know, um, before I actually played the game, you know, do you realise if you play today, then you're, that's it, you, you know, you qualify for Ireland, and it, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a problem, it was, abs- yeah, that's what I wanted to do. So, yes, I've seen the, the situation in Declan, um, it starts really from the rule itself because you know if you play the international friendly that should be it then all this grey area all this nonsense that's out there now uh, is put to bed once and for all and if if you're selected for a friendly 
and you've gone willingly to that friendly, for me, that's the green light I want to play. I want to be there. Well, it's now after the game. It's not long after the game, 10 minutes or so it finished. We're down in the lobby here at uh, Watford Football Club waiting for the managers. There's a question mark over whether we're going to get to talk to Maurizio Pochettino because he will do Radio 5 Live, who hold the commentary rights to this game in the tunnel. We're hoping he's going to walk past us and we can ask him uh, to do an interview. We've already been promised Javier Garcia, the Watford manager. I think he'd like to talk, don't you, Michi? Yeah, we've got to stop coming to matches that are as bad as this, haven't we? My goodness, 1-0 Spurs were, were, were leading and then they blew it 2-1. Um, yeah, well, let's see who we get. The, the funny thing, it's a bit echoey here, isn't it? Don't you think it's a bit too echoey to be recording interviews? I haven't been here this season before and you know, you'd, like, you'd like it to be a bit quieter than this. I mean, you, we're, in, we're near the tunnel, you can hear people coming up and down the tunnel. Uh, I think it's going to be OK, we've done it a number of times here before. Tell me about your bet, first of all. Oh yeah, I, I blew it, didn't I? Because I went for Tottenham to win and both teams to score. So that's my five pounds gone. How about you? Well, I was close actually. I was a bit nervous at half-time because it was nil-nil uh, and so my over 3.5 goals wasn't looking too clever at all. But then, um, you know, we had that little burst of activity. It was a, a strange kind of game. It took a long while to get going and uh, what impressed me about Watford uh, during the game was they didn't panic when Abdullah Decore put through his own net. They spent 10 minutes just going, let's, you know, let's make sure we don't go too down and then they started to crank it up and uh, my feeling is that summer of fitness and conditioning work that they've done with the players who were here really paid off because they had extra reserves of energy. They had been chasing shadows in the first half, but they still had the energy to take the game to Tottenham and uh, I think it was hard on Tottenham. A draw would have been a fair result, but you've got to defend set pieces better. What did you think of the atmosphere today? Because I thought it was amazing. Uh, I think Watford supporters really played their parts in giving their team the energy to come back and find a way to, to score two goals having been one nil down and I think you know from a sort of the point of view of someone doing the commentary when you've got that atmosphere behind you it really helps you know that people listening uh, wherever they're listening at home or whatever can really feel the fact that even if Watford were one nil down you know they can hear the fact that the, the supporters were really getting behind them and I have to say I mean almost in the commentary we were saying it felt irresistible Watford were really the supporters were really pushing the team on a real team effort, a real club effort. I think Andre Mariner um, felt the fans were behind him at one stage, didn't he? <laughs> the referee. I tell you what, I've, honestly, I mean, we see all the referees. You get, to, you get a bit of a feel for how they manage the games and how they referee. I think Andre Mariner is just about the best. And yet Watford supporters were um, complaining that he wasn't giving them decisions. I thought he had a good game. I, I wouldn't argue with any of the decisions. And in fact, when you think about it, they got their goals from two set pieces. How could you possibly be complaining about the referee today? And obviously when they win, that, you know, that all gets forgotten. But during the game, there was a spell, wasn't there, where every time Mariner gave a decision to Watford, the Watford supporters were doing the ironic cheering and the sarcastic applause. <laughs> Well, the managers are about to come through and we're going to talk to them. We'd like to extend our thanks to Emma Saunders and Alan McLaughlin for being guests on the show. And from myself, Nigel Bidmead and Ian Beach, it's bye for now. Yeah, and do you want to lift home? Yes, please.